you know, within tech, we have this notion of like with any project that you're working on, you can either flex on people, time, or scope. You can only pick two of those things. And you know, for us, time is something that's always inflexible. So we either have to work on scope or people. And then like as you get closer to the election, that people number becomes so much more generous. And if you can just like position yourself to take advantage of all the people who want to help, then you could be really successful. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. This is another in a long series of interviews of Democratic Party technologists. Today's guest is Chris Concepcion, who was the director of engineering at the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, last cycle. He brought his background as an engineering manager in industry at places like Wayfair to the job. Chris and I discussed what it's like to come into the political space as a technologist, and we talked about some of the technology tools that he oversaw. So after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Chris Concepcion, outgoing engineering manager at the DNC. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Chris, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? My name is Chris Concepcion. I have been a director of engineering at the Democratic National Committee on their tech team. I joined the DNC in around July of 2019. I was born in the Philippines, lived in Manila from birth until about the age of 11. My family immigrated from Manila to Canada when I was pretty young. Uh, it was around the time of the Marcos Aquino election. There was a lot of instability, but as the instability got worse, it just sort of became very apparent that there was really no going back for us to get sort of commit to a life in the West. My father had gone to school at Stanford. He'd always looked up to the States as a place where he'd eventually want to raise a family and establish a life. The revolution just sort of moved that timetable up a little bit. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't get easily get residency in the States. I grew up in Canada. wound up really loving Canada itself, uh, but my family wanted to live in the States long term. So when they moved down to California after I finished high school, I chose to go to school in Boston and have you know lived here uh, in Massachusetts since the mid-late 90s and you know, built my own life here. I've been involved in a lot of different areas in politics, but, you know, being an immigrant made it sometimes hard to get really that involved. You know, I would do volunteering, would, you know, get involved with either, like, canvassing, door knocking, but it was only after, like, the 
Obama White House came in and set up something like US Digital Service for Healthcare.gov that I wound up really thinking about, oh, you know, I could use my tech skills for the public service, which also was very interesting for me, you know, having been an immigrant here and wanting to give back in some way. That's not your your normal political path to the Democratic National Committee, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. It's like I mean one thing I found interesting going into the tech team, the team itself is, I think, a very interesting mixture of maybe folks like Nell, who've come from the Hillary campaign, other folks who worked their way up in state parties. But yeah, there's still a number of us who came from industry where you know, we didn't necessarily think of ourselves as the kind of people who could make this sort of difference in history. I've certainly learned and have shared with my team is that you know, any of us can do this. It is, it, it, it's a little bit hard to like get started because it's still very much a who you know sort of business. But I think that especially as the community of technologists and progressive ecosystem get bigger and more people are recognizing, actually, you know, it is possible to do this. So you may need to make certain choices about your lifestyle or about things you want to do, but it's an interesting career. How big is the tech team these days or, you know, before and after the election? How big is it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we were about 50 when I joined. Uh, this is July 2019, so right before the 2019 elections. We surged to about 70, 75 during the election itself and included a number of campaign cycle hires, a few other folks that we added in in the 2020 run-up, and then also some coordinated campaign hires that we made. Scale that back down to about you know, 50, 60 people uh, post-campaign, which seems to be honest, is like the biggest tech team has ever been. And typically, in the past, the, the entire tech team would be laid off because of the great boom-bust cycle. But you know, it's really reassuring to see that we've been able to keep all the headcount that we've had. You know, we've shed some folks like myself who got burned out during the campaign, but you know, it's been an opportunity for us to bring in more. And the other thing that's also been interesting is you know, now that we have the White House, there are interesting projects that are coming to support the Biden agenda that I think is creating some good conversations around, like, what will new headcount look like based on some of the things that uh, the administration wants to do. Is it a good place to work? It's an amazing place to work. I've had this career working in different startups, working in big companies. Also, I've talked about that. I've never been in a place where so much of what we do has such an immediate effect on, on my neighbors, on the community around me. You know, it was amazing watching Datadog and Google Analytics graphs during GOTV weekend, seeing every hit and being able to look at, you know, making an API help people look at polling places. Each of those hits is somebody trying to find a polling location, somebody going out to vote. You know, we would get messages from folks in the like on state parties or in the field or in staff about, the number of changes that we have made to help make their jobs easier, help them be more effective. I mean, there's a really great amount of energy that comes from knowing the difference that your work is, is making. But also, you know, there's a lot of really great passion within the team, both in you know, the sort of merger of folks who have deep field experience, people who've worked their way up from being a community organizer to going into a tech boot camp, knowing how the tools that we're building will just actually help people in the field, as well as folks, you know, came from Amazon or Twitter or Facebook and I'm myself at Wayfair, where we are taking some of the skills that we have learned 
in large companies working at scale and figuring out scrappy ways to apply that to help make sure that tech is going to be ready for some of the most important historical events in our life. It was just a really amazing place to be in. The description I gave folks um, after the election, and I've also kind of gotten from listening to podcasts like yours, is sort of this feeling of like, you're on, like you, know, you see those big, like epic fantasy movies where, you know, there's like a big battle at the end. The individual heroes in their one corner of the battlefield are, you know, fighting for their lives and just having to sort of desperate work to sort of stay, stay afloat. And at the end, the din dies down. You look around, you see there's more of your side standing at the other side and you both won. And that, then you have this moment to like talk to different people and get their view of what was going on in their part of the battlefield and how your efforts led to this overall great victory. Like that's been an amazing thing to be a part of. You had picked up a, your BA, you said in Boston, but you went to Babson, studied management information systems, and then you actually went and got an MBA subsequently at BU, right? Between what you had studied in school and then the variety of jobs, why did they hire you at the DNC? What was the skill set they were looking for and what were the other characteristics that you brought? Yeah, so I think one way to describe my career from the beginning up to where everything led to the BNC was that, you know, I went to school right around the time that the web was becoming the big deal. For me. You know, like my first tech quote unquote job was building the website for our campus newspaper and similarly being amazed when that website would go live and I would see traffic from alumni in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, seeing this sort of impact of this reach. And so, I want to steer my career towards learning more about technology, learning about how to use it. I went into a document management company called 170 Systems that focused on getting paper out of the office, right? And I learned there to be a consultant, talking to businesses and helping use technology to make their processes more efficient. From there, I went to a company called American Well that was building out telehealth solutions, you know, basically helping people talk to doctors online, which, you know, now in the pandemic, this has been their moment of proving out the value of their vision. And it is kind of wild to me sort of seeing the way that, like, you know, I joined that company 13 years ago and seeing how that has like really played out. But, you know, that was my opportunity to like build a team from scratch and learn how to sell solutions to large health plans and in that experience, what I wound up happening was within the Boston Tech community, I made friends with a person named Liza Bailey, who at the time was uh, building a web startup around uh, open source ebook readers. That technology had licensed by O'Reilly Media to become the core of their new learning platforms, Firebooks Online. And Liza was in the middle of having to scale up a team for that. And, you know, she and I had talked about, you know, the challenges of, you know, team building, leadership. She sort of saw in me a person that could help her build this team up. And so she had hired me to be her first engineering manager at Safari. And that was an interesting challenge for me as far as like, you know, like almost a zero to 60 product that you have to get on as like a five person engineering team, had to do a lot of hiring, but also had to be comfortable in a tech stack that wasn't something that I had like my hands on and learning how to trust other engineers, trust other technical individuals to make judgment calls and really just sort of focus on the strategy and the growth of the team. 
you know, the thing that the O'Reilly Safari um, experience, though, was that and as, we were, as we got to like different stages of growth, like it became very obvious for us that in order for us to figure out how to be successful at, you know, a, as a 10 million, 20 million, $50 million business that we needed to bring in people from outside who had experience working in that tier. So for me, like when I wound up leaving, it was to go to a place like Wayfair to learn what life would be like at that scale. But, you know, that time, it was 2018, you know, Trump had won the election. I remember when the travel ban had happened. And, you know, as an immigrant, I felt particularly targeted by that, particularly enraged when I was hearing news about green card holders being forced to sign away their green cards, you know, to be released from detention when they were sort of caught up inside Taliban. Like, you know, th- those kinds of things are just a complete affront to the sort of compact that I felt like every immigrant made when they went through the process of joining this country. And so I was wanting to get involved. You know, Liza at the time, she had left O'Reilly a year or two earlier. I joined the DNC's staff engineer. And we had sort of talked then about like, you know, could I join the DNC then and make use of my skills? But yeah, at the time, you know, spring of 2018, I was still a relatively small team, you know, with Rafi, a small core of people that he had brought up from Twitter. Like Liza was probably the first the sort of like walk-in hire that they had brought in. We just didn't know anyone there. Right? And so you know, she was saying to me, like, yeah, we're still pretty small, but I think if 2018 works out well and we need to grow, then we could definitely use somebody like you to help us. And so, you know, I decided, decided to go to Wayfair where I joined a you know, relatively big um, mobile development team, like 50 iOS engineers, which is huge for a lot of uh, mobile development shops. But they wanted to go to 100 within a year. And so that was also a really interesting scaling challenge. And, but yeah, at the same time, 2018, the 2018 Blue Wave happened. The DNC tech team started hiring aggressively to build out systems and develop a team they need for 2020. Why is it got in touch with me again? So, okay, now we can definitely use somebody like you. The team's gotten bigger. The projects we have have gotten more complex. Um, and, you know, for me, the thing I've always risked, like, loved to take on was, you know, a team that's in the middle of a very important inflection point that needs to be able to execute well on that. And, you know, whether it's a product launch, any kind of deadline, you know, those are always the problems I relish taking on. So, I was talking to the DNC in summer of 2019. Around that same time, though, I, I don't know if you recall, but there was a whistleblower report from within Wayfair about the company selling camp beds to a contractor operating the uh, detention camps on the border. And it was a big effort internally to cancel the order and detach Wayfair from the business of, you know, basically imprisoning children. There was a walkout that was happening. And that was happening as I was having my last set of interviews to the DNC. So it felt very much like right for the time to make this move. And I joined. And uh, at first, I was writing a team that was finishing up the, the migration from Furtica to Google BigQuery. But then later on, it made more sense for Eliza to take on the data engineering side. So that was both the BigQuery and the order file side. And I would handle our web applications, which includes a DNC tech portal, which helps state parties set up data sync jobs between VAN and other data platforms and BigQuery, as well as our board protection tool, LBJ, and I will vote, as well as our video research tool, Vantage. Um, so it was getting involved with 
help get those teams, move, take those projects, and bring them to be ready for the 2020 election, as well as doing some hiring and just generally helping teams with process and overall building relationships as well within the political arms of the DNC, um, helping them think about how to use these, these software applications in a real sort of like product-minded vision, um, and not just the sort of like, I think, iterative us bringing contractors to work on a set of requirements for a feature, you know, without any sort of real product strategy. What I'm not entirely clear about is, like, it sounds like a lot of your role along the way has been manager, and that in the tech world sometimes means only managing and sometimes means also, say, coding or, you know, moving things around in IT or where typically are you in terms of hand hands-on versus just helping other people do the work? It is a thing that can vary a lot between different companies, what they need for a people leader. For myself, I typically fall more on the management, people leadership, overall strategy side. But the thing I really enjoyed about the DNC, because it's been such a smaller team and I've much, much closer to the work, like, you know, I would still take time to make certain, you know, pull requests against our GitHub to make code, fix a bug, if that time was permitted, you know. But I think the thing I've learned for myself as I moved through my career um, and gained more levels of responsibility was that the reason why I was brought on to different companies is to be thinking one month, three months out and thinking about what do we need to have ready for what could be coming down the pipe in that time frame and less about what's something we need to actually build right now. There's folks on the team who are very good at doing that. I don't need to get necessarily like crowd into their space to like add my own sort of expertise because also as I have moved up, like my ability to be a really great coder is also in some ways declined because it's just lack of practice. So the things I have tended to do within the team would be things like, as an example, during the Iowa caucus, when we worked with Iowa State Party to collect other caucus locations. Like we had this process, they would send over all the caucus locations. We would, these things are normally collected by hand. We would put it through Google Maps and other forms of validation. They would sort of give us errors because these are manual problems and realize, you know what, like, let me at least just create a rough Python script that can take this list of addresses you're giving us, you know, normalize that, send that to Google Master Validation. You can run the script, just, you know, here's a command on how to do it. And that will at least cut out some of the early back and forth that we would take. And that became the nucleus later on for other engineers. I am not going to necessarily be the person creating the best version of this code, but I will sometimes be, if, if it makes sense, I will sometimes jump in and throw something really scrappy together just to like tie us over until the rest of the engineering teams can really look at it and figure out what the long-term solution should be. You've kind of mentioned a number of different, I guess, sort of software applications or projects that fell under your purview. The one you're just talking about, I think, is the I will vote thing. What's what's the big picture on that? Why was that needed? Why was that something that became the responsibility of the DNC? And what was your role in it? Sure. So, I mean, if you think about all the previous years of political campaigns, you know, the most one of the most important things any campaign needs to do is get people to the polls, right? All your messaging and all of the outreach you're going to do is not going to matter if people don't actually vote for their candidate. So 
in the past, and you know, this was something that we all see each other during the primaries, different campaign tech teams would build out some sort of tool to help people find their polling location. I mean, in many cases also, the state, the, the Secretary of State site, state government will build their own version of this tool. Not every state government does it particularly well. The reason why political teams do it a little bit better is that they can sort of also tie this to their own targeting, you know, their outreach to make that more effective. But it's very duplicative work. The reason why I will vote is important and why it's important for the DNC to do it is if we do this once and we do it well and we offer it for free to state parties and campaigns, and that's just one less thing that those tech teams have to worry about. And one less thing, you know, they have scarce resources, not very many folks, and they have to be able to think about, okay, you know what, I don't have to worry about this. I can go focus on analytics. Or I can focus on improved messaging and other projects that are much more high value for their candidate. So what we try to do with an I will vote is basically build out a best of class service for, you know, generally like helping voters understand what voting is like in their, in their county and in their state, what the rules are, especially as you know, we're going through a highly volatile period with COVID, you know, keeping those up to date. And that was also dovetailing with, the fact that we, as we were going to the general and had these various field teams gather all of this information so that we could be able to bring information in at a much faster clip than other teams that may not say have had their resources. You know, thinking of, let's like, say, Google Civic, other sort of nonprofits that may not say have the reach of, let's like, say, you know, presidential campaign, all these state parties working collaboration. So does this end up being a success? Do you, are you able to basically get national coverage for that? Are you b- able to tie everybody who's trying to do get out the vote in different levels to this data so that they can be more efficient? How does it go? From what I can at least share, that it was it was very effective. I mean, we were especially looking not necessarily nationwide, but at battleground states. You know, we were able to get to a point where whenever there was a polling location update or a extension of hours or any sort of change, right? As soon as the, like, that was officially confirmed by the state or the county, like, those would be reflected in our system, usually within less than an hour, less than 30 minutes. So getting that sort of very crisp. And we had also opened up the API so that we could partner with Vote Americas and other nonprofits who could run texting campaigns. And our success was basically buttressed on three things. One was, you know, this was a big off in the Biden campaign that IWillVote.com, just as a domain, is easy for a principal to say. It's, you know, you don't have to, like, give some sort of long URLs to people type in, right? People can write songs about it. So just as a marketing tool, extremely effective. The fact that it was also something that could be used by Senate races, House races, presidential campaigns, high um, force multiplier function there. And also the fact that we opened up an API so that people could use the lookup function as well as the information function for like other websites, like the Biden team partnered with this before they make a plan and commit to vote functionality. And we also had other nonprofits running texting programs to help people like, you know, put in your, like just text us your address and we will give you your polling location running off that API. Like those are all additional like work that we were able to do to increase the reach and impact of your vote. Is it something they will, be able to use again in the next two elections? We're absolutely going to be using it again next two elections. And the next four or six, you know, I think there's 
been a strong um, both I will vote as well as uh, LBJ, the voter protection software system. I think they entered this cycle with a bit of a question mark on their future face because they had various reputations during 2018, 2016 about not being completely reliable, um, not having a lot of sauce ownership. But I think, you know, uh, one of the things I particularly feel proud about coming out of 2020 is this really uh, sort of strong response and sense from the, like both the Biden campaign as well as a lot of the partner stakeholders that, you know, these tools were really effective for us. In many ways, like you know, they got they, they were not hard to use. They were it allowed people to be able to do their jobs. We built technology that sort of amplified uh, the efforts of many others and sort of got away from people having to wrestle with the software or you know work around it in some way to like make it better. You know, it was something that you could just not have to think about, and you knew that. I say with this example, I will vote. That so long as you just got us the polling location info, we would be able to like get that up to date as quickly as possible. And as people are registering or requesting mail-in ballots, we could feed that data back to state parties, and they could start using that for their own targeting. And it was just something that could just happen um, and not be something that people had to worry about. It always strikes me as as kind of weird that a lot of this stuff isn't easier than it than it is that we have to have campaigns and parties and other organizations like working so hard to provide information to voters just about where they vote and how they vote. And it ought to be easier. It ought to be easier. I completely agree. I mean, I think if there's a national standard for this data where we could just pull this from an API or pull it from even just a set of like concept CSVs, you know, I think, you know, you've had people, on your show, Nathaniel, who talked about the voter file and the way like that is different across all 50 states. I mean, imagine that, but it's like every county potentially could have their own definition of how polling location data is being stored and modified. And so they have to go across like county by county. Like, I mean, so people normally have just found that information locally or they found it in the local newspaper or, you know, but, but now we've kind of moved to because of technology, this ability to do it centrally. But it turns out there's a lot of devil in the details of trying to, to roll it all up into one data format and one application that's hosted somewhere and make sure you have the security on it and, and keeping it up and fixing the data in real time. To be honest, like, you know, with a lot of the battleground states, I mean, some of those states, they don't necessarily want to make voting easier for people. So the fact that they don't invest in the infrastructure is in some ways a choice. And so we are doing our best to like work around that choice. And, you know, despite what folks are dragging their feet on, we will still do our best to like provide the best uh, experience for the voter. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times LBJ as a, a voter protection app. I don't really know what that means. It must be named after Lyndon Johnson. Well, it's actually Lawyers Bound for Justice is what the initials stand for. Um, well, they, just, that's pretty well-known initials in democratic politics to to, to usurp. <laughs> yes, you know, I honestly don't know what the origin story for those initials are. Um, like so many things, you know, one of the interesting things about working in this job is that they're just these epochs of talent that move in and out and 
you know, you can only look back to maybe one or two levels of folks who were here before you. You could tell you some reasons why. This came in the Pleistocene or something. Right, exactly. So the oral history of LBJ was that, or Lawyers Bond for Justice was that, you know, it was a tool that was, that was created for one election, right? And that, oh, well, prior to it, it was like it was a bunch of spreadsheets. And the idea behind it was to be a tool to track information about voter suppression occurring in different battleground states, partially to be used for potentially, you know, uh, litigation, but also to like deploy tools of volunteer voter protection attorneys uh, if they need, if like there's something ongoing. So think of like this as a, just basically a large ticket tracking tool uh, to help voters. And, you know, I can't really speak too much about the details of the tool itself, but one of the things about the application as it's evolved over time is that it was originally built for one election. Now it has to be able to be scaled for multiple elections across multiple states where maybe it's a state election or, or a national election. Like the data model for that has not particularly been kept up well, largely also because it has moved from one set of engineers to another without this sort of like large overarching product strategy. And so one of the things that we have tried to do, especially within this uh, particular cycle, was try to really look at you know how can we build up this tool so that it's not just something that's operated by engineers. And if we wanted to be able to set up new elections, it could be done by communities and by folks who are not technical. And, you know, really getting the engineering out of the way of being able to use it for new events. So it's been a key thing for us in this, in this past year. So what is the state of LBJ now? I mean, if you think about when people call in uh, onto our hotline for help about voting questions about voting. It has been a great tool for collecting that information. Partially, it's helpful for our hotline folks to be able to like answer a person's question or be able to sort of say, oh yeah, you know, like um, if you have this like polling office that is closed down because there's a water main break, you know, they just announced that the new polling location is two blocks down at the community library, so you just go over there. You know, it's just a useful information for people on, on the call center to be able to assist folks to call in, but it's still also useful as a way to collect information about a polling location where there is a strong presence of intimidation happening because of individuals. Maybe you can use that, the data to talk to the county to provide better uh, security within that location or to challenge their other behaviors. So that's been the large thrust of that tool. I, mean, I know that, that there are quite a number of organizations that work on voter protection. Presidential campaign does lots of the big campaigns in states and other parties. Is everybody maintaining their own sort of LBJ separately or? Actually, they have largely partnered with us for being the sort of main source. There are some parties who choose to do their own. There is a lot of value towards working with DNC. I think the other thing is also exciting is seeing uh, other groups like Verify and others that are starting to think about this more than just from cycle to cycle. Because if you think about a political campaign, you know, it's a startup that exists for six months, maybe, and they have a bunch of other things that they're worrying about. So they think about voter protection ta- very tactically for what is needed to ensure that there isn't a decisive amount of suppression that, that cripples their chances during the election. But once that campaign finishes and dries up, then the continued work of having to advocate for voters and having to fight 
piece of legislation doesn't really sit with the campaign anymore. It has to go back to the state party. It has to go back to other groups who will also have their own other priorities as well. So we're all trying to do our best, like, keep this conversation going from cycle to cycle so that it doesn't just become this Sisyphean task, right, that doesn't get attention until, like, the next cycle comes back. Um, did you mention also that there was some kind of video tool? Yes, we have a video research library that's mostly just capturing information about news and useful for just general messaging. You know, so if we just if you imagine like with any TV studio that uh, has to understand what various folks have said and could use that later on if. We needed to amplify a certain message. You know, that's been a tool that our research team has been Given that you've spent a key stretch of time in the DNC, in tech, I'm sure there were a lot of conversations about the state of our progressive ecosystem in technology, which ranges from what happens within the DNC to vendors and all the groups, like everybody has tech right now, right? It's, it's a, what's your sense of how we're doing as a party in political technology? It's definitely been interesting over this past year. You know, we worked with a number of organizations across the ecosystem, Civitech, you know, about ready, verified as well. And it's, you know, the, both the in fact that groups like Civitech and Reach and others were teams that, Work have a root and a background in a campaign and chose to move their technology to professionalize it, I think it's really exciting because they have that lived experience. They have something that's proven out in some way. Um, you know, coming from the startup world, it's like getting product market fit is always one of the hardest things that any startup has to be able to go through to be able to be successful. So seeing that, as well as with Higher Ground Labs, funding a number of these organizations, I think, brings a lot of promise towards a world where you will have like this diverse group of individuals who are bringing new ideas in uh, and working with each other. But I think, you know, one of the common themes that has come up is just the ability for us to exchange data across all these platforms so that any one given campaign can make sense about all this. And, you know, so much of the work of uh, tech campaign has gluing all these services together. So the things that I, I'm excited about looking forward is, you know, say stuff like the Move Cooperative with Parsons is working through, as well as what DNC is doing within Phoenix of basically building hub technologies to allow you to sync your Act Blue fundraising to Phoenix with you know, the data you have from from Van and with the voter file, be able to do analyses and incorporate all that information. I think that's going to be what's going to be really exciting in the next few years. And not only being able to do that for the presidential, but also being able to do that for a senator house race that's going to be working with one-tenth of the resources of the presidential. I think those are going to be really exciting. One of the things that that happened was that big migration to BigQuery. And you actually wrote something up, uh, I saw, about it. Why was that done? Why was that important? And how well did it go? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, with fairness, right, I came in near the end of that. So my role of writing that article was largely to tell that story um, and work with the teams who had done that work. One of the things that we have really taken to heart since 2016 was understanding that 
we may not all be around to work on the software. And the, the thing that we always have to do, the thing that we always said to each other that uh, we wanted to be true was thinking about the teams that would come after us and being able to build software that could survive a 50%, 75% layoff of the team. And Vertica was largely self-hosted. You know, we had to keep people around to be able to understand it. But as people would leave, like, you know, the um, ability for us to keep that system up and running was becoming just a huge tax. The attractiveness of BigQuery was the, just the fact that, you know, Google could take care of infrastructure upgrades for us. Overall, just the general health and maintenance of the system, we could just really focus on building out really great pipelines, um, the work that we're doing around voter file translation, the work we're doing around like syncing. We just sort of focus on that actual value-added work of translating data from different platforms. Does it end up being more reliable, more scalable, et cetera, because of that? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you, you know, I, again, did not was not here during the times when Reddit was around. I think there's a lot of stories of, of people having to, you know, set alarms for themselves whenever to wait for whenever their job would finish or that, you know, a particular failure causing them to lose hours of time because they have to restart that. Like those kinds of complaints did not enter in once we had moved to BigQuery because it was like, well, there are certain things that Google had to continue to improve and tweak for us. That sort of notion that people couldn't trust the infrastructure, like that went away. And that cognitive load, once that goes away, you could do so much more. So my understanding is that, so the national voter file, your version of it sits in that. Uh, what else sits in that? Like, what what do you host at the DNC in terms of data that has to be at really big scale and and able to be used by lots of people at the same time and require that kind of tech? Well, you know, we mentioned this in our Medium blog post. Uh, one of the things that we've ex- exhibited uh, fairly broadly were. A blueprint, which is a way of simplifying the data so that folks who don't know a lot of SQL could be able to access insights into the voter file as well as BAM. And then we also would acquire additional information for phones and contactability, but as well as building out tools to help link identities across different state voter files. So as you know, not everybody fills that in COA form as you are moving from one state to another, or as you move to some state, sort of just understand like as your name changes and other using other heuristics, are you likely to still be the same person? So that's another example of value to try to add on top of the voter file itself to like help people track things like ethnicity, things like contactability, um, so that we have better view of who the voter was. If somebody has an idea for an application like like these firms that you're talking about that get funded at a higher ground labs or just, I don't know, a precinct person somewhere and they want to tie to political data. Can they work out an arrangement to tie to your data? Do they, should they be up against catalyst or, you know, the, the NGP van world directly? Where's the central hub for the party for voter data and how can you use it if you want to build an application against it locally or more broadly? Yeah, no, I mean, the great thing about Phoenix, our big data warehouse, what we try to provide to, especially state pricing campaigns working with our data, is that we'll give you these data sets for the voter file. 
We'll, uh, you know, if you're working with an estate party, we'll stake over your band data and we'll give you a sandbox in which you can do your own analysis, you can do your own work against these hard label sets. You know, we'll provide other products for folks to use for their own analysis, but you know, we basically give you a protected space in which you yourself can make any changes you want and play around with your own data, be able to like use it, like use insights from our data sets to augment that information. And then from there, you can build other tool other tools as you may wish. And then one of the things I think we're really excited to be able to do in the future is continue to build out that family of syncs so that if there are other tools, other sort of data sets that people really find um, are going to be compelling to uh, merge in so their analysis that you know, we'll be able to offer that capability within Phoenix and continue to increase the value of Cloudflare. What other observations, like if you're going to advise, say, the person coming in to replace you, because I, I hear you're outgoing, like what did you learn in your time here about how we do tech at the DNC that people ought to know internally or and that they ought to know externally about the job? Like, um, I think I would certainly advise anybody who, from my background, is coming from industry is, and the great advice that somebody else had given me was that, especially for joining the DNC, we benefit from having people who have that scrappiness and that desire to take risks and be able to try multiple things, but that you will never actually make the DNC itself a startup because the stakes that are involved, we can't be that cavalier with what we're doing. And we also can't be that cavalier with what the position that we have as a leader within the ecosystem. And so there's a lot of humility and willing to be a listener when you come in here. Like I think there's always a sort of temptation for folks to come from the tech world, like we have all the answers, we know we've done all these amazing things, building out, you know, e-commerce platforms that can handle short sales around the world, but that the fact of the constraints that we operate in within political tech where the dates are fixed, the traffic's huge during election dates, and we don't get second chances, like that's a different interesting set of challenges that we have to look at. We can't change and that that does bring in a certain amount of deliberation. That brings a certain amount of discipline. And there's a lot of people who've come up through this world and internalized that. And the magic happens when you're able to like understand the strengths that we both bring to this conversation. And we're able to magnify those strengths, cover some of the weaknesses that we, we may have either by encouraging a little more risk taking, reining in, the more sort of cavalier approaches um, and be able to do something really creative. Uh, that's the thing that I've really enjoyed in this time. The other thing also that's been interesting is just, especially during a campaign, being ready when you have a number of people wanting to volunteer and wanting to help. You know, there's so much of the work we did and so much of the reason why we were successful was building tools that were self-service for non-technical people so that they could get their work done without us being in the way. You know, within tech, we have this notion of like with any project that you're working on, you can either flex on people, time, or scope. You can only pick two of those things. And you know, for us, time is something that's always inflexible. So you either have to work on scope or people. And then like as you get closer to the election, that people number becomes so much more generous. And if you can just like position yourself to take advantage of all the people who want to help, then you could be really successful. You're leaving to take a job back in industry 
What do you think about how political tech is as a career or part of a career? It used to be rather strange for people to come out of industry into political tech because it wasn't big enough maybe to support that or afford that. That's somewhat changing. Some people kind of get the bug either early in their career. How do you think about it fitting in for yourself and for other people? Yeah, I think it could be a really great career for folks. I think as we have moved into this realm where we are permanent campaigning, we do have to be thinking about the way in which our government will lead this country, not just every four years when elections happen, but, you know, all the time as we're talking about legislation, talking about um, advocacy. And now people have gotten much more used to the idea of setting up like regular recurring donations and treating your support of the Democratic Party the same way you treat your Netflix subscription. I think that can make for a very interesting, durable ecosystem for people to build their careers. But I think it is also healthy for folks to be able to move between spaces because you do learn certain things from being in a small tech uh, shop and someplace that's really scrappy where you could be an engineer and an activist and an organizer and a product person and be able to build like sort of broad sense of skills. But that also, and for me, the appeal of working at a large company is having access to a broad community of peers where you can exchange ideas, um, learn from others, share what's being done well. And I think there's a, a way for us to do that, especially now that there are so many companies um, who are cooperating, collaborating with each other on a lot of these problems to be able to craft that community. And I personally hope to still be in touch with that community, even if as I move back into the corporate world. Um, but that ideally, we are not going to just sort of look at this as just a one-way journey. That there are ways for us to move back and forth as we need to. What I'm really looking forward to in the future is um, being able to grow, build new things from scratch, being able to use the resources of a large company to be able to take on some big ambitious things and then take that experience potentially back into politics to build something from scratch here. You know, I look back at my Wayfair time as the most valuable thing that came out of that was seeing how Wayfair handled Wayday, Black Friday, Cyber 5, these big traffic events and all of the work and discipline they went into preparing for that. Like I basically took a mini version of that playbook to help LBJ and I will vote be ready for the election. And so it's an example for how these lessons that we pick up in these different areas will help us out in both places. And, you know, the more that we're able to move between those worlds, and I think that will create a much deeper sense of experience and deep set of expertise for all of us. That makes sense. You've said you listened to an episode or two of this podcast. What should I be asking people that I'm not asking people? It's a good question. You know, like whenever he asked like, me, what, what did I ask? That, what did I not ask? And this was always like, I always saw it as, as, as an opportunity to say, say, well, so you want to talk about that we haven't talked about yet. And I think that the thing I would, I would be interested in seeing you asking more often is to this point about the community, right? Like who else is doing something interesting in this space that I haven't asked onto this podcast yet? And see if there's an opportunity here for folks to refer others, boost up others, and, you know, help sort of expand this conversation. Right? And I think, as I mentioned, you know, like, for me, the just to an answer, like, I don't think I have any folks in the cooperative. 
on this channel. And like, I think you know, the work that they're doing in person could be really interesting. So that's perhaps one group that I certainly recommend you talk to if you haven't talked to them yet. Movement Cooperative? Yeah. So after I turn off the mic, as it were, I ask, always ask that question of everybody. So who do you recommend else? Who can you introduce me to? Who else is doing good work? So I, and in fact, that is the source of, of a huge percentage of my interviews is those kind of referrals. And by the way, I've been talking to like Josh Nussbaum from Movement Cooperative since before they incorporated it. I just can't get him to come on. Like that's also true for like dynamic, uh, democratic data exchange or whatever it's called. I haven't been able to get them on. Who could you introduce me to? Who, who else is doing interesting work? It's been an honor to talk to you. Is there anything else you want to say? This was an honor to, to be here and I really appreciate the work that you're doing and really like in highlighting other people in this space. And I look forward to continuing to listen and seeing how we continue to advance and solve interesting problems. That was Chris Concepcion. Chris was at dnc.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.